talking about title assurance now when it comes to property, and I'm going to be 100% honest, there's a part of this that I do not know. Uh, so I'm not going to try to act like I know it in this episode. That's going to be the recording acts. Uh, I, I'm going to briefly say here's what's involved, but I'm not going to try and explain it by any means. Uh, but this article, well, this episode, is going to be all about title assurance. And what is title assurance? Well, ultimately, when a person is going to purchase a property, we've already talked about this, they're purchasing title, not the property. And that title is going to give the purchaser certain rights to that property. If you purchase property without a title, you haven't purchased anything at all. So the title is going to be super important. And as a result, you want to be assured that the title is a good title. And as a result, title assurance becomes quite necessary. So there's going to be three main ways that you can make sure that titles are good. Uh, you can ensure there are title covenants, which is a promise that titles are good. You have title opinions based on the search of public records. Those are going to be uh, and title opinions are based off of lawyer's advice, and that's where we're getting into the recording acts. And then we'll talk about title insurance as well. That'll be a bit more limited. Uh, so we'll spend most of our time focusing about title covenants and maybe a decent amount of time focusing on title opinions and the recording acts. I do want to note, too, that each one of these methods for assurance still leaves some gaps. And so a title covenant is not going to cover everything that you want to make sure that the title is good. And so you have a lot of people who usually utilize two or more of those methods, two to three, obviously, there's only three, where they do title covenants and insurance, they do insurance and then title opinion. Title covenants are pretty much a given. So let's go ahead and talk about title covenants. Most contracts are going to contain title covenants. Uh, however, if most of the covenants are going to depend on the type of deed, uh, there are three different types of deed and they have different scopes. So you've got a general warranty deed, a special warranty deed, and a quick claim deed. Uh, a general warranty deed is that the person selling the property is just going to warrant against all defects that were made before and after the person had possession of that land. A special warranty deed is that the grantor is only going to grant or warrant defects after they were possessing that. So obviously, and, and then a quick claim deed has no warranties. You're pretty much buying the property as is. So you can see what a seller would want and what a buyer would want. A seller would want a special warranty deed or a quick claim deed. And a buyer would want a general warranty deed would be their best. And then obviously special warranty and then quick claim would be less favorable uh, progressively when you have less warranties. Within the general and special warranty deeds, there are going to be six main covenants. First is Sizen, and this is when you have. Uh, this is when you're saying, I'm actually selling what I own. Uh, the right to convey, uh, there's no encumbrances, there's a warranty on it, you are assured quiet enjoyment, and then you are giving. A, 
covenant of further assurances. So these first three covenants that I listed, the size and right to convey and covenant against encumbrances, are called present covenants. That means if a breach is going to occur, then that breach would have occurred at the time of the deed. If there's something wrong with the property, that's a breach at the time of closing. If there's an encumbrance and you say that there's no encumbrances, that's a breach at the time of closing. If you convey more than what you have against a sizing covenant, that's a breach at the time of closing. The remaining breaches are going to be covenants related to future covenants. And I misspoke. Uh, that includes warranty, quiet enjoyment, and further assurances. Uh, and then the three that are breaches immediately are size and right to convey and covenants against encumbrances. So we have a case relating to this information. There was a breach of a covenant, or uh, so there was alleged, as Brown versus Lober. Uh, they uh, couldn't. I I I believe. I'm not going to get into the facts because I can't remember uh, them 100%. But ultimately, our big takeaways from this is that a breach of the covenants of Sizen is going to occur when the grantor, as we talked about, is going to give more than what they actually have. So in this case, the grantor had given more than they actually had. A claim may be made for a covenant of Sizen as long as the statute of limitations has not passed. That is important to know. And, uh, in this case, the statute of limitations had passed because they didn't bring their claim within a certain amount of time. As for a breach of quiet enjoyment, note this is a future covenant. A breach is going to occur when the grantee is actually or constructively evicted by the actual title holder. So, in other words, you're telling them it, the quiet enjoyment is you are the sole possessor of this land. Nobody is going to come and kick you out. If the land's been vacant and uh, nobody comes and claims that land, well, then there is no constructive eviction. Uh, the In this case... Uh, there was no breach of covenant uh, claim available because of the statute of limitations, and then there was no breach of quiet enjoyment because the land had remained vacant because there was no constructive eviction. So let's go ahead and talk about title opinions based off of a search of public records. As I mentioned, one of the assurances that may be given is it, and through a title opinion. These are going to be utilized through attorneys. Attorneys can look at the title records, they can do a search, and then they can write a letter to the person asking and say, yes, this is a good title, I recommend that you go ahead and buy the home. Or they can say, no, this is not a good title, I don't recommend you go ahead and buy the home. And it's because things weren't recorded correctly. Somebody might have a better claim against your property than you do. I would recommend you don't buy that, or you can face litigation if you do buy that. So it's up to you. The risk is yours. And that's the whole point of the attorney in doing these title opinions, to buy or not to buy. And so we have this recording system. And there are several ways to determine who gets priority when it comes to 
if there are multiple claims. Uh, you have first race, race notice, and then just notice. Race is obviously, as we talked about in our very first theories of property law, that's first come, first serve. So the first person to record is going to be the first person to claim good title. When it comes to race notice, it's the last person to convey without notice, but they are first to record. I can't think of a good example to demonstrate that, so I'm just going to leave the rule as is. And then the notice is the person who is last to convey. So when the attorney is going through, they're looking at all the title records, they're going to want to first know what application the jurisdiction uses, whether it's race, race notice, or just notice. And the reason for that is because depending on the jurisdiction determines who has better title. So the second step is going to be apply the jurisdiction to the question, who has first priority over this title? So if you have multiple mortgages on a deed, not a good deed. If you have multiple encumbrances uh, by different people, could be an issue. Uh, if you've got a deed uh, who has a mortgage, and then 40 years later, there's a deed with another mortgage, still going to be an issue. So those are the recording acts. I'm not going to get into any more detail with it. I know there is a ton more related to the recording acts, and it's actually the biggest thing issue I've had with property so far this semester. So I'm going to have to come back and actually review that because it didn't make a whole lot of sense, and I know there's going to be quite a few questions on the final relating to the recording acts. I do want to notice as well when it comes to notice uh, regarding the recording acts is that there are three kinds of notice, and any of these could put you on notice regarding the recording acts. So... Uh, for example, you've got race notice jurisdictions and you have notice jurisdictions. Well, notice will be met underneath actual notice, record notice, or inquiry notice. And that's going to be you should have known that there was a bad deed or a good deed when you took possession of these deeds. Actual notice is going to be knowledge of a prior interest. Uh, so say A sells to B. And then C knows of that sell, and then A tries to sell to C. C is on notice that B has a better claim than C does. So that's how actual notice works. Record notice is knowledge based on a reasonable search of the records. So A sells to B, B then records, and then A tries to sell to C. If C does a proper search, they're going to find that A had already sold to B because it's on record notice. It's on record. B recorded. And so C, when they do their search, knows that A sold to B. As a result, C should not take possession because B has a better claim. When it comes to inquiry notice, uh, this is knowledge based off of an investigation uh, concerning any suspicious circumstances. And so our final case was related to inquiry notice and whether or not the bank in this instance should have done an inquiry. This case, it's a pretty sad case, Rome, Rob, 
uh, was a victim of fraud, and the general income sponsors of Iowa uh, were the people who were doing the fraud. They ended up taking all of Rob's money, uh, including Rob taking out a mortgage on the home, selling the home to general income, becoming a tenant of a general income, and then general income ended up taking out a second mortgage on the home. So there are two mortgages here. Well, general income ends up defaulting, and the banks want to collect, and they go and they look and see that Rob's there, ask what Rob's doing there. Rob just says, I'm a tenant. Should the bank be liable for the loss, or should Rob be liable for the loss? And that's really the question here. The bank was not on actual notice because everything looked clean from general income. There was no record notice uh, because the previous mortgage was not recorded. And even if there was a record, everything still looked clean. So the final question is, is the bank on inquiry notice? And the answer here is no. Uh, Even if the bank went and investigated, Rob would have just said, oh, yeah, these people, they own my home, and I'm just living here as a tenant, and that's how that's going to go. Okay, so we've talked about uh, title covenants, title opinions, and now we're going to talk about title insurance. So title insurance is usually purchased and goes along with either a covenant or I'd say most commonly the covenants, but it could go along with the title opinion as well. And you can almost say that the purpose of title insurance is to just double cover any potential title defects. Uh, Insurance is often provided to lenders and owners using standard forms. So you go to a title insurer, they give you a form to fill out. Uh, The standard form is going to include five parts. It's going to have a cover page, which outlines the scope of the insurance. It's going to have exclusions, which are potential risks that the company is not willing to cover. Uh, These are going to include encumbrances uh, that the parties agree to. Uh, The third part is Schedule A, uh, which are specific details about the property and which parts of the property are actually insured, which parts are Well, I guess Schedule B is going to talk about exceptions, not exclusions. There is that difference. And those are going to be based off of property details. So those are going to be parts that aren't insured. And then you're going to have additional conditions. That's the fifth part. Those are just the procedural requirements. Here's what needs to be met for you to file a claim, things like that. I mentioned this briefly, but I want you to notice the difference between exclusions and exceptions. Exclusions are things that the insurer will not cover in any policy, while an exception is related to the specific property and, and the, that property's defects. I also want you to notice that the purpose of insurance is to cover hidden defects. So the covenants are designed to protect against apparent defects. Insurance is for hidden defects. Uh, One last thing to note about insurance, I guess two things. A second to last thing to note about insurance is that they do have a duty to defend uh, the people that they insure. That means that they need to pay attorney fees and indemnify, uh, and indemnify just simply not to get too complicated. It just means to compensate for any loss that the party has. 
Uh, the last thing to note about title insurance, it's extremely expensive. Uh, for as much money as goes into title insurance and as much money as actually paid out of title insurance, very disproportionate. And that's what I mean by expensive. I, I don't know how expensive title insurance insurance is specifically, but they pay out a lot less than they bring in. Uh, just to give an example, these numbers are going to be off, uh, so excuse me there. But homeowner's insurance, auto insurance, life insurance, each of those insurance companies take in and then they obviously have to pay claims. They pay, they make, I think, about 60% back. So for every dollar that is spent, they're paying about 60 cents out of it. For title insurance, though, for every dollar that is spent, they're paying only two cents out of it or five cents out of it. It's not a lot compared to all these other insurance companies that cover different things. So ultimately, title insurance is questionable as whether or not it's a good remedy for title insurance. All right, so that's title assurance. Just to cap up what we did, we talked about title covenants, the different warranties and the different uh, covenants that are included in that. We talked about title opinions and the recording acts, uh, focusing on the different kinds of jurisdictions and notice. And then we talked about title insurance, what's included in title insurance and how all of that works. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.